As we stand, let's uh, bow our heads and pray for a moment, please. Lord God, please take the words that have been prepared and apply them by your Holy Spirit to our hearts and minds and change our lives, we pray. Amen. Do please sit. And let me um, begin by telling you something about the end. At the end of the sermon, when I've done a fair bit of talking, I'm going to ask you to do a little uh, about how God spoke to you. More details later but it should give you enough anxiety uh, as you uh, start listening. Uh, Now, imagine the scene. It's Tuesday morning. Uh, Will and I are doing one of our regular uh, catch-ups after morning prayer. And Will says to me, Alan, I'm struggling with the morning sermon uh, upcoming. I'm worried that it will come over as, well, you know, just just a bit negative. Um, Can you suggest a way in at the beginning? And I, ever wise, say to him... (laughs) Well, have you considered just by saying to the congregation, you brood of vipers? (laughs) That normally seems to work. If a child comes to you with a graze after falling over, uh, you may be one of those whose instinct is to reach for a soothing cream. Not my parents. They reached for TCP. Uh, an antiseptic that stung like crazy. Can you still buy TCP? Uh, Thank you, I just wanted to know. (laughs) Rather too many of you knew the answer, though. (laughs) John, in his time, and Jesus in his, are completely unafraid of administering a sting when they know that it's actually going to do good to God's children. And John's message stings. Please turn to it if you weren't there Uh, for the reading, chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel, and we begin at verse 7. It's page uh, 1029. And there are three uh, elements to what John has to say. Firstly, judgment is coming. That's in this reading. I'm also going to look a little before, but uh, judgment is coming. Secondly, so live differently. And thirdly, if you think this is tough, wait till you see the Messiah. See, the Jews had returned from exile in Babylonia hundreds of years before uh, John and Jesus and the, the New Testament opens. And the Jews remembered all the old promises in Isaiah and the other prophets about how wonderful life would be once the exile was over. But life hadn't been wonderful, it had been awful. They'd been ruled by a succession either of invaders or by uh, corrupt people from among uh, God's own people who just wanted to get out of it what they could. So when was God going to come and make it better, fulfill those promises? And John comes with the message that you see there in verses 4 to 6 before we started our reading today. Astonishingly, The answer, when are you going to do something, God, does not come with the overthrow of the invaders or with the corrupt, but it actually comes with the people themselves recognizing the problem is ours. It's not out there. It's not with the others. It's because our hearts are not prepared. The people as a whole need to turn to God in repentance so as to make a straight way for his glory to return and dwell among them. 
And now, in verse 7, he rebukes the people. Jesus uh, uses the phrase as well, brood of vipers, uh, in Matthew's Gospel. And when he says it, he applies it to those who are making a show of their religion. It was probably like... um, Here's here's an illustration. Uh, What do we know about ostriches? Well, apart from what we might know, actually, we know they have a reputation for putting their head in the sand. Well, presumably, therefore, in the way that their uh, sort of literature and mythology worked, vipers had this uh, issue of being pretenders. Uh, So uh, Jesus uses it about hypocrites. Let's assume John is doing the same. Uh, So what he's meaning, he's talking to people who whose approach is something like this. Come on, um, let's, let's take the car out for a drive in the country. We could go and watch that wild preacher by the River Jordan. We could even get baptised. Come on, it'll be fun. That seems to be the attitude. John is warning the people that the return of God's glory in what he says is salvation, it's there in verse 6, it's a two-edged matter. Some are going to be saved indeed, but it is a moment of judgment and some are going to be condemned. And he says at the beginning of our reading, the axe is already at the root of the trees. It's not the final judgment, that'll come later. But it is the judgment that will happen as the Messiah arrives and preaches and people will discover then whether they do or don't opt to be among those saved. Which side of that Uh, a two-edged sword where they will fall. And in the face of that judgment, John says, it's not going to matter whether you've undergone the formality of a baptism by me for repentance. Because some of you are just a brood of vipers. You're just pretending. You're just doing it on a day out. It's fun. It's entertainment. TV hasn't been invented yet. And it won't matter whether you're in a position to claim descent from Abraham and his family. Neither formality nor family is going to matter. All that will matter, according to verse 8, is producing fruit in your lives that's in keeping with repentance. What's meant to happen is that you draw aside from your regular life in Jerusalem and you go to be baptized in the River Jordan by John as a sign that you want to start anew a new life, living differently before God. And that new sign then encourages you as you go back to your daily life. Now, of course, this is not a fully Christian baptism of the kind that we saw last week with Mahmoud. But it's on the way to Christian baptism. It's not a contrast, John did this, but Jesus does that. It's more... John did this, and then how much more will Jesus do? We're to treat it as Christian baptism is at least this repentance. And bearing in mind the motto of our own county, do different, we of all people should understand what this baptism is about. We could turn the words of John and say simply, do different, because God's coming. And what that looks like is set before us in the second element of our text, verses 10 to 14. They say, well, what should we do then? It's the same question that you get at Pentecost. 
when Peter preaches. And before we go into the detail, I want to register one thing. John has just said, you brood of vipers. And these people are still hanging around. These people are still saying, what are we supposed to do? They're not put off by being called vipers. And isn't that amazing? Over the uh, holiday period, there was uh, a moving and interesting couple of interviews on the radio. First, there was an interview one morning with Maureen Greaves, who you may remember her organist husband was murdered on his way to play for the midnight service in 2012. While she agreed that the, the, the killers should face the penalty of law, she offered them a personal forgiveness on the grounds, she said in the interview, that none of us is without sin. Now, the next day, there was another interview. I don't know whether it was a slow news day or it was just felt that this was a bit too awkward and we needed to counter it. And there was another interview with two other people who said that forgiveness was complicated and that it hadn't been possible for them to forgive attackers. What I found interesting was that the second interview completely ignored the central heart of what Maureen Greaves had said the day before. The offer of forgiveness, not as an effortful thing, not as a matter of principle, but simply because we ourselves need God's forgiveness. The interviewer, who was the same on both days, simply hadn't got it. And it is as though John sets before the crowd as we hear, listen in today, a hurdle. You are a brood of vipers. If you resent that description, if you want to say, no, I'm not, then you go on your way. This isn't for you anyway. And actually, at the end of the story, we'll find that Herod does not want to be in that description and so locks John up. But if you can stand there in my crowd and say, yes, I reckon that's about the sum of it, I am resistant to true repentance, and I know I need forgiveness, so tell me what to do. I don't mind being described as part of a brood of vipers if it gets me to where God needs me to be. Then you will be those who can stand up at the judgment and be saved. So do different. And in these ways, first, share. If you've got more than you need of clothes and food, share it, verse 11. This was part of the Old Testament law. It's not a new command, but he's saying, do it. Don't think about it. Don't promise to do it when you get home. Don't praise it as a good idea. Just do it. Second, fair. Tax collecting was what we would now call outsourced. The Romans needed 10,000 denarii, so you paid them the money, and they gave you the contract to collect it. Think Serco or, or uh, something like that. What you collected was up to you. You were out of pocket 10,000 because you'd already paid them that. But if you wanted to collect 20,000 and make 10,000 profit, that was up to you. They were hated because they collected much more than the 10,000 they'd already paid. Much more. So don't do it, says John. Collect only what is fair. Well, we may not be involved in corruption, but we might be involved in umpteen interactions in a day. Offices have in-groups and out-groups, those in the know and those not in the know. 
And it's not a bad question to ask at the end of every day. Have I been wholly fair today to everyone I met? And then the soldiers. At verse 14. They were probably Jewish soldiers working for Rome. Roman soldiers would have had no interest in coming out to the Jordan. They were abusing their power by corruption and bribery. And John says, don't be content. If you want alliteration, having had share and fair, then maybe John says, be content with your bare wages. And that's another good question. Was I content today? Did I live today? Do I intend to live today? Who, as someone who knows that a judgment of life and death is coming so that I'm determined to do different from what I have been. And it may be that someone here knows their Christian history and wants to object, ah, yes, uh, isn't that just being saved by working hard at something rather than believing in Jesus? No, it isn't, but that's not John's point. John doesn't care to debate you. He's interested in your soul. He, although it stings, he cares about you. Do different, because it shows you get the point. And then the third element, wait till you see the Messiah. The people ask, well, what should we do? But they also say, who are you then, the Messiah? No, says John, but he's coming. He'll baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, it's not, I have to say, it's not, not entirely easy to know what that fire means. But just over the page, John goes on to say, uh, uh, judgment is coming, and the, and the picture he uses is of a great pile of grain in, in the middle of, uh, a, of a floor, an old uh, threshing floor. And what's already happened to it, it's already happened, incidentally, uh, that's the process. Um, they had these sort of wooden part paddle, part fork, They'd throw it up in the air, and there'd be a breeze coming through, and it would take all the light stuff that you didn't want uh, over onto that side of the threshing floor, and all the good stuff, the heavier stuff, would drop down. And you keep doing that uh, many, many times until all you were left with was the good stuff, and all the chaff on that side, since they didn't have much they could burn, there were never many, many trees around, they would take that and it would be at fire. But if you've ever had, put dusty stuff on a fire, you know that it often doesn't flame up. It just sits there, gently sort of glowing for a long time. And so Jesus says, that's how the judgment's going to be. There's the, there's the, those that will be saved in the middle, and over here is going to be the, the judged dust that just glows and keeps on glowing. It's unquenchable fire. And it's a picture of the, the rubbish heap just outside uh, Jerusalem, uh, where uh, because it was just endless amounts of rubbish thrown on it, the fire never went out. And if he means that by fire, then it's probably what he means earlier by fire. Jesus is coming and the Messiah is coming and will uh, 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 baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. The Messiah is coming and he is going to baptize with life, the Holy Spirit, or with death, the unquenchable fire. And, amazing, do turn over. Just see how close these words are. Unquenchable fire at the end of verse 17. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Unquenchable fire, good news. 
Why is it good news? Because although it stings, what matters is that we do something about it, and if we do something about it, it has been good news. And that's where you come in. You have a daily life. You've drawn aside to the desert of church on a Sunday, not for baptism, but for communion, and you return to daily life repentantly different. My overall question is this. If a tribe of Martians landed and observed for a week you and your neighbors, what would they conclude? Would they see that all of you had a hobby and yours was church? Where are you being called to do different? We're going to keep a minute's silence. And I want to ask this question, what has God said to you? It might be that it's an answer to that question, where are you being called to do different? It might be that you've actually never noticed that those two windows at the front have pictures of baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper on them. I don't really mind. But the question that I want you to ask yourself for a minute is what has God said to you this morning so far? And now I invite you to tell your neighbor uh, in twos, preferably in twos because that gives you time to change ends, uh, what the answer to that question is. If we can't do it in a safe place, how will we ever do it in a dangerous one? Take a moment, take two minutes to talk to your neighbor, one minute each. I'll give you a half-time change ends uh, whistle uh, and say, what is it that God has spoken to you today? Okay, half-time whistle, make sure the other person gets a go.
Okay. Um, uh, some of you will be saying to yourselves, this is outrageous, um, because I, I, what I always need to do is to go away and think. Um, and then I work out my response to that. That's fine, but all I want to do is to uh, suggest what John might have said to you. If your response is, I normally go away and think, uh, John would have uh, perhaps said, that's okay so long as you do something about it. What should we then do does not normally in John's mouth meet the answer, well, why don't you go away and think about it? He gives them very practical responses. Can we pray together? Lord God, there are Martians in our lives, those who look at the life we lead based on what we may have said and who wonder what difference it makes. Whether it's in our sharing, our being fair, barely content, may our lives be different in ways that point as, uh, as John pointed to the fact that a judgment is coming and life and death are at stake. Amen.